Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. Let's pray together. God, thank you for being God. Thank you for being more than we could ever make or create or imagine. God, as we go throughout um, the rest of the service and listen to the words that you have for us, God, I pray that we believe that and will come to know that more now, more than ever. God, for those of us who are in the midst of grief and trial, God, I pray that you give us comfort and discernment. God, for those of us who um, just need a helping hand, God, I pray that you will provide that helping hand. God, for those of us who need a glimpse of joy, I pray that you give us laughter. For those of us who are lonely, give us a friend. For those of us with questions, give us answers and reassurance. God, as we open your words, teach us your way. Amen. Uh, So you all don't, let me move this, uh, don't see me too often. I'm usually downstairs with the children. So if you don't know me, I am Annie Sutton. I am the children's pastor um, here, and I'm very glad to be up here and to have some of our kids in worship with us today. Um, If you don't know, then during the month of July, we are doing a summer Sabbath um, from children's worship downstairs so that the children can be up here um, learning Uh, more deeply with us about the Ten Commandments. They're studying the Ten Commandments in their Sunday school classes, um, and then we'll uh, continue to worship and learn more and dig deeper here with their families. Um, so, uh, So if you see kids, welcome them, help them to know and remember that they are part of the body of Christ just as we are and take this opportunity um, to see um, to see worship and see God through their eyes. It's a really amazing thing that I get to do every week and so I'm glad to be able to share that with you all both here um, in the sanctuary and across the hall in the Family um, Life Center as well. Um, And for those of you who are watching online, um, I pray that you also um, hear this word and see the gift that God gives us um, today. Um, I'm a little bit different than uh, than Sean and Pastor Kep. I can't um, just remember things from memory. So if you see me shuffling some papers today, um, then just excuse that. Um, but I need it to help me follow where we're trying to go and where God is leading us. Um, so I'm going to start um, with uh, a word from Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 6. 
Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether it is in the form of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I am the Lord your God. I am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of parents to the third and fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. So, Last week, we began digging a little bit deeper into the Ten Commandments. Uh, Pastor Kep taught us about the first commandment, about having no other God uh, before or even at the same level as God. Um, he gave a great message about the importance of um, showing our children, showing those around us that what we believe is true and that we do believe that God is our top priority and acting out that in our life every single day. And this commandment, the second commandment, builds on that. The Ten Commandments, while we are studying them one at a time uh, through the next few weeks, um, they are meant to be seen as a whole. Uh, these commandments were given to the Israelites after they came out of Egypt um, to help teach them how to be God's people how to live freely in the land that God gives them, and how to be true people of God, people who truly follow the God of their fathers. Um, and so as we, as we move through this, we'll see how the first three commandments are instructions for how to treat God and how to show respect to God, um, and how, the, how God can mold our hearts to then worship freely, um, and treat others with love and respect. Um, and that's what our kids learn in their Sunday school classes today, too. At least, hopefully, they learned it. <laughs> um, and so that's what we're kind of taking away through this month as we learn about the Ten Commandments in Sunday school. And it's also what we can take away um, as we um, continue to be followers of Christ and we show our children and our family and the people around us what it means to follow God. Um, that the Ten Commandments are not just um, a checklist of things that we do or do not do, um, but they are um, a way to shape and mold us into being people of God. Um, and so when, like we were challenged last week, we have God as the top priority in our lives, when we are focused on what God has for us, and when we trust God instead of trusting ourselves, our things, and our circumstances, then we experience God in new ways. Uh, the Holy Spirit reveals new parts of God to us all the time, and the way that we think about God can be expanded, um, and we're able to rest in the mystery and majesty of our Creator in a way that we couldn't before. So when God gave Moses and the Israelites this commandment, they had recently come out of Egypt where they were in the midst of a culture that had multiple gods 
multiple idols, multiple statues and words and descriptions of their gods. The Egyptians had gods um, that they could see and touch, uh, gods that they could sacrifice food to and burn incense to and talk to face to face, or maybe more like face to statue, but that was their god, face to face. Um, and so, and the Israelites would continue to come in contact with many people who had idols who worshipped statues that represented the powers and the things that they wanted to believe in. Um, And that was the norm then. But God was telling the Israelites to get away from the norm, to step out of the culture that they had been immersed in, and to be separate, to be holy, um, and not to be like everyone else. Because if they are worshiping a God that is unlike anything that they've ever known before, a God that is bigger and more majestic and more powerful than anything that they could imagine, then how could they be just like everyone else? They belonged to the unique creator. And so in this passage, God is reminding them that they also are unique. And that God's people would be unique in the very core of who they were. Unique and different in what they worshipped and the way they acted and the way that they saw God and the world. Last week, as I said, uh, Pastor Kep did a great job talking about the things that we put in place of God. Um, and I'm, so I'm not going to repeat that today. Um, Because this commandment is not only about worshiping false gods or lesser gods, but it's also about how to worship the Most High God in the right way. About how to think and imagine God in a way that is holy and good and different. So God tells Moses first to have no other gods before Yahweh, before I am, because I am. The way that God revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush, to have no other God above Yahweh. And then not to make any idol in any form. And this means not only making idols of other gods, but also not attempting to turn our ideas of God into an idol. In ancient times, the people who made idols, the idol makers, if you will, were not only sculptors or artists, but they were theologians. When the idol maker created his or her God, they were not only making a statue of a lion or a bull or an eagle, but they were making a statement about who their God was. They were saying, my God has the speed of a lion. My God has the power of a bull. But my God is exalted as the eagle and has the wisdom of a man. Making an idol made a claim for who it was they were worshiping. 
The idol maker would then worship their idol as if that thing were God, as if that thing held whatever power they claimed it held. Their God could then be defined by terms that people could understand, um, could be seen right in front of their face, and could be controlled by whatever power this idol maker decided their God would hold. And according to the thinking of the ancient world, these images also provided the worshiper with a fixed point of contact with the deity after whom they were named. This fixed contact tempted the worshiper into assuming that he or she had some degree of control over the God that they created. A couple um, of weeks ago, the kids learned about Elijah and the prophets of Baal and how no matter how much they prayed to their idol, to their God, nothing happened. But then when Elijah prayed to his God, the God above all gods, the Lord God, then God was able to do more than they could imagine, more than they could ever ask of their fake God. Not because Elijah knew everything that God could do, but because Elijah trusted in what God was telling him. And so in the same way, uh, God is telling Moses, don't trust the things that you think you know. In case you haven't learned by now, Moses, I can do incredible things. So instead of limiting me, let me be God and let you be my people. Because the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who did say, I am that I am. I exist because I existed all along. I am here because I am the being that created all of life. God says all this because God is bigger than any statue or than any description could ever claim. God is telling them that believing you have control over me is a lie. Just like building an idol and acting like it has powers is a lie. And so God warns Moses, don't let my people try to define me or depict me. Don't let them worship a cheapened version of me. We read um, in, I lost my place, in verse 5, <laughs> uh, it says, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. The Hebrew word that is used here can also be translated as zealous God, with a Z, zealous God. And it is only used in reference to God, to Yahweh, to the Lord our God. Because nothing and no one is more devoted and diligent and faithful than God. He says, I am a zealous God. I am more devoted to you, more passionate about you than you could ever imagine. And so instead of coming up with ways to define me, just love me and worship me for I am the Lord your God.
I chose you. You belong to me. I brought you out of Egypt. I loved you when you didn't think that you could be loved. I am more than you could ever imagine. God says, worship me, not because you can define me, but because you can't. Because I am greater than anything you could ever imagine. Now we hear this, and we know that that's true. We're taught when we're kids that God can do the impossible. Our God is so big, so strong, and so mighty, there's nothing my God cannot do. And we know that in our heads. And we read the rest of the story, and we wonder how the Israelites didn't get it. We see over and over again the people of God turning away from God, trying to tie God down to a certain definition. We read about the Israelites worshiping other gods, being swayed by culture and pride and the human need to have all the answers. But, and so, and we wonder, how? How is that not enough? Of course, God is bigger than we imagine. Why didn't they see how great God was? Wasn't freeing the Israelites from slavery enough? Wasn't creating the whole universe enough? Wasn't being God enough? We all agree that it should have been enough. But just like scripture does, this verse requires us to look in the mirror and really dig deep into what we really believe. Do we really believe that God just being God is enough? We have to ask ourselves and ask God, God, are you enough for me? Do I really, truly believe that you are enough for me and my family and my friends and my church and my community and my country and my world? And when we look deep enough, I think we can see that we are just as guilty of putting God in a box and defining God down to what we are comfortable with as the Israelites were. There was actually a recent study, which was very timely for this sermon, that was published by researchers at, at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill. In this study, researchers asked 511 American Christians what they thought God looked like. The 511 participants saw hundreds of randomly varying face pairs, so two pictures of faces side by side, and they selected which face 
appeared more like how God, how they imagined God to look. By combining all of the selected faces, the researchers could assemble a composite face of God that reflected how each person imagined God to appear. And they then took all of those together and made a composite of what all 511 people thought God looked like. You can, if you are interested after, you can look it up, just face of God, UNC, it'll come up. <laughs> um, it's right on the, the UNC Chapel Hill website. Um, and so the study showed some very interesting things, some things that were different than what they maybe originally thought. If you think about how God has been depicted in art throughout history, um, it is usually um, more of an older, white-bearded, tough grandfather type of person. Um, but this research showed that the majority of people chose images that suggested a younger, kinder-faced man. Still a man, but a variation from the typical descriptions seen in art. The most interesting thing to me that I think really ties in to where we're going here with this today is that the study also showed that people's political affiliation played a role in the images they selected, showing that a person's image of God reflected the type of society and leader he or she desired to have. Now, we get really uncomfortable when we talk about anything political at church, so I'm not going to go into right and wrong or anything like that. All that I'm saying is that we like to think that we do view our world through the lens of the gospel like Pastor Sean preached about a few weeks ago. But if we really look in the mirror, if we are brought with images of what we want God to be, we are all guilty of having black and white biased opinions. And to me, this shows a lot about our nature as humans, that no matter what side of the spectrum we're on, that we just like the Israelites, are more influenced by our culture than we like to admit. It tells me that no matter what side we're on, we have ideas of where we want God to stand and who we want God to be. We sit in church and we enjoy the idea of mystery and majesty, of a God that is bigger than we could ever imagine. But deep down, we know exactly who we want our God to love, who we want our God to accept, where we want our God to go, how we want our God to do what we want. We may not be making statues of bulls or eagles or lions, but we know what attributes our God has. Now, that's not always a bad thing. 
We read scripture and we see so many beautiful images of God. We look at the life of Jesus and we know that God is love, that God heals. It is so helpful and good for us to trust that God protects us. And it is right to know that God is faithful and true and kind and just because God is all of those things. But that's not all that God is. God gives us these commandments and says, those who love me, those who truly love me without any qualification or limitation, they will obey my commands. They will not need to know everything about me, but they will trust me because I am who I am. And God says, Moses, listen, and tell my children to listen. Tell your children to listen, because I am greater than they could ever imagine. Please do not cheapen my greatness by limiting me. Let God be God, and let yourselves be my people. And that is so hard to do. Because when we're honest, we know that letting God be God and letting us just be God's people is so difficult. It makes us feel so much better to know the correct answers. It is so reassuring to be the best believer and have the, all the definitions and answers in Sunday school. It gives us peace to know exactly how God moves. And it makes us feel safe to know where God works and where God doesn't work. But knowing these things doesn't make us free. And the prophet Habakkuk, yes, Habakkuk, <laughs> Uh, addresses the issue of idols um, like many of the prophets do, years after the Ten Commandments are given. In Habakkuk 2, 18 through 20, we see, What use is an idol once its maker has shaped it? A cast image? A teacher of lies? For its maker trusts in what has been made through the product though the product is only an idol that cannot speak. Alas, for you who say to the wood, wake up, to silent stone, rouse yourself. Can it teach? See, it is gold and silver plated, and there is no breath in it at all. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let the earth keep silent before him. Habakkuk asks the Israelites, what is the use of these idols? Aren't they more troubled than they're worth? What do they do for you? 
How do they lead you? How do they teach you? Who are they to you? They don't even have breath. We can worship a God who gave us breath, who gives us life, who is the breath of all breath, the being of all beings. And he tells them the Lord God is in his temple. Be silent before him. The Lord God is more than all of this that you can create. The Lord God can do more than you can imagine. Instead of making a God you can't do anything with, can you just be still and quiet and amazed at what our God can do for us? Instead of trying so hard to get it all right and to have all the answers, won't you just be in God's presence? When we decide who God is and isn't, we're putting an enormous pressure on ourselves. Being in control of God's movements is a huge responsibility. Being the gatekeepers choosing who is welcome into the kingdom is exhausting. And putting God in a box with a label is nice and neat. But it requires you to be in charge of everything outside of that box. Making God into an image that we can easily visualize doesn't allow us space to be fully present and amazed in the presence of God. We have to let go of our preconceived ideas of who God is and what God wants. We have to stop worshiping the God that is exactly like us. Because if God is just like us, why do we need God? Why not just serve ourselves? If God is just like our culture, then how can we be different? How can we be led and how can we grow? How can we be challenged the way that God challenged the Israelites if we know everything about God? Pretending we have control over God is a lie. And as it's in, expressed in Exodus 20, it's also a sin. And it's a sin that is passed down to our children because our children worship the same God we worship. Just like Kep talked about last week, what we worship, what we put our trust in, what we, how we see God is how our children will see God. It is what our children will put their trust in. And it keeps us from following the true God. 
I know one of the things that I love every week and what I loved in the month of June, which was really perfect leading up for me preaching the sermon, was teaching our children that God can do the impossible. Just like with Elijah and Gideon and Solomon and all of the people that we learned about. God can do the impossible. But I can teach that all I want to downstairs. But if it's not being lived out every day at home, at school, at the grocery store, wherever you come in contact with children, then they're not going to really believe it. If the people up here who are leading the church, who are deciding things, who are growing, if you're not believing that God can do the impossible, then our kids will never know that it's true. So we have to let go of what we hold in our hearts to be true of God. The things that are biased, the things that are self-serving, the things we know of God that may not actually be in this scripture, that may not have actually been revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. We have to let go of those things in order to free up space for the infinite God who is bigger than anything that we could come up with on our own. And if we truly have no other gods above the Lord our God, then we must truly believe in a God that is beyond our wildest imagination. We have to let go of our desire to control and define. We have to surrender our pride and open our hands asking God to give us new things, new glimpses of who God is, more of God, more than we ever thought possible. We get to choose the God we follow, just like the Israelites did. And the God that was then is the same God now revealing new parts of God's self to us all the time. The things that we idolize must be put aside. We can choose an image of God that we feel comfortable with. We can keep God in a box that is labeled so we know which one to pull out when we are in need of a miracle. Or we can let God out of the box and constantly see miracles all around us because we know that God is everywhere. We can rest in the presence of the one who is greater than anything else on earth. We can be with the one who is. So as scary as it might be to not have all the answers, as easy as it might seem to be in control and tighten our grip, 
I challenge you to let go. To let God blow your mind. Because an uncontrollable God can do unimaginable things. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for lessons that keep teaching through all generations. Thank you for allowing us to be free in your presence. To not have to have all the answers, but to simply trust you. God, as we sing this final, these final songs, I pray that you will lead us to know you deeper. To believe that you are more than we could ever imagine. I pray that as we leave this place, we will take you out of our boxes and we'll let you be free to do your will and your work in our lives so that we can be free to be your people. Amen.